0: Become champion of the universe. Me with my beautiful, colorful personality. I'm good looking, clean living, cultured, and I am modest. I am so modest I can admit my own fault. My only fault is I don't realize how great I really am. Because I am great, I am the greatest. You recognize that voice? Who is that? Muhammad Ali. How many, how many, there are a few of us here who remember when it actually happened a few decades ago. How many of you remember hearing him? And I think for a lot of us we thought, that's just like over the top. <laughs> I mean, how could someone be so brash, so bold, so arrogant? And we remember him for that. Of course, he is uh, older and his body has deteriorated over time. But the question, do you want to be great? Now, I think most of us would probably tone down the rhetoric. (laughs) We would not express it in the same way. But deep down inside every one of us, we want to be successful, whether you call it great, to be effective, to have our lives valued, to be significant. We don't want to live and be ineffective, though we might not express it the same way. So Muhammad Ali and many other athletes that you'll see and other people may have different ways of expressing that internal desire to have a significant, valued life. Jesus also spoke to this about what it means to be great and how we're to be great. What Megan read this morning was from one of three recorded conversations that we have in the Gospels. And three different uh, times do we read these words that Jesus challenges His disciples and His followers, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, you learn to serve. You learn to serve. Of course, the disciples were like everyone else. In the passage that she read, they were arguing among themselves, disputing among themselves about what? Who would be the greatest? (laughs) So, however you soften it, however you phrase it, however you say it, every one of us would have that desire. The Gospels, I believe, are just a beautiful picture of the life of Christ. We really have one Gospel, Gospel meaning good news, the story of Jesus. From four different accounts, I look at it as like the four corners looking into one life, and so three of these accounts tell us about these conversations about greatness. The first one is about a week before the crucifixion. It is right before the what we call the triumphal entry when Jesus came into Jerusalem, and they were saying, uh, "Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and they're laying down the palm branches and and uh, receiving him as king. A week later, they crucify him. Right before that event, a mother came. and This is in Ma- recorded in Matthew chapter 20. And uh, she is the mother of Zebedee's sons. And those two sons are James and John. And she comes to Jesus and asks him for something. And he, he says, what do you want? And she says, grant me this, that my two sons could sit in the kingdom at your right hand and your left. Now, of course, most mothers want the very best for their kids, and you're always looking out for them. I think every mother here would want that. Well, how did she come up with that? I don't think she came up with that on her own. Because in just the previous chapter, Jesus is talking to his disciples, and he is He's talking about the future. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about eternity. And he's talking about a, a kingdom to come. And he said, you will have 12 thrones, and you will, you will be with me in the kingdom. And so, obviously, uh, James and John told their mother, and it's probably pushing her up there, go ask them if we can sit on the right hand and on the left. And so this is what she asks. His re- it's interesting, his response to her as as James and John are listening and 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 he says this can you drink the cup that I'm about to drink and of course the cup is symbolic of the wrath of God the judgment of God the cup if you remember in the the account of Jesus in the garden of gethsemane do you know when he's he knows he's going to be going to the cross and he's praying to his father and he says lord if it be possible let this cup pass from me. What cup? will be the wrath of God poured out upon sin. And when Jesus was becoming sin for us, he was going to bear upon himself the full wrath of God and wait against sin. When he did that, he carried it for every one of us. Well, he asks them, can you drink this cup? Oh, we can. <laughs> That's response. we can. They have no idea what they're talking about. And he says, it's not mine to give, but my Father. Of course, Jesus is equal with the Father. He has put himself in a servant position. He said, "As my Father is to give that. And here's the comment he makes in, in Matthew 20. He says, whoever wants to become great, and, and, and really he's speaking to all of us in this. Whoever wants to become great, significant, let him be your servant. Let him be your servant. Now, the second account and the third account are both from the same scene. So we have Luke 22 that Megan read and then John 13 that we're going to look at this morning. But these, these two accounts that we're going to read are, are really the same upper room experience. And just before Jesus goes to be crucified, he is in the upper room with his disciples at what we call the Last Supper, the uh, communion. It is his last time with his disciples in this upper room. And he responds to them in, in, in the Luke passage. and He says, "'Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest "'and the one who rules like the one who serves.'" That's, that's the Luke account. But I'd like this morning just to focus our attention on the brief time that we have together in John chapter 13. It is one of the, the, my all-time favorite chapters, and, not, and it's not because it feels good, <laughs> because it's one of those that you read and you go, ouch, 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 because I don't really live this way, and he's calling me to live this way. But it really helps set the tone of how Christian life is lived. So John chapter 13, if you want to look there or you can follow along as I read this account. John chapter 13, verse 1. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter and said to him, and and, and Simon Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, Those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. And that is why he said, Not everyone is clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I love this account because I think Jesus really gets to the core of what it means to, to lead, to love, to live your life. If we go to this setting, it's a very interesting setting. When Diane and I were over in in the Middle East, we went to the place they believe was the upper room setting. It's just a it's like a large room that was prepared uh for Jesus and his disciples for this spe- specific occasion, the last supper. And as they gathered together, uh they they would meet here in this uh in this room. It's not a table like we know. It's a lower table, and people are reclined around the table. Uh, They didn't have chairs. And they would share a meal, and Jesus would uh, share that His blood would be shed for their sins. His body would be broken, and we're we're familiar with uh, those accounts. And in this text, it talks about him washing people's feet. Now, that, that kind of sounds a little weird for us because that's just not what we do in our culture. I know some cultures uh, or some churches still practice foot washing, but I mean, it's probably like not the kind of thing we'd, we'd find uh, common in our culture, but it was very common in this culture. And typically, when you walked into someone's home, you'd had a, had a bath in the morning. This is what Jesus talked about. You've been bathed. You're clean. But when you walk on those dusty roads in the Middle East, your feet get just get filthy. So you'd come in to the home, and typically a home would have a servant, a slave, and that slave, the lowest person on the slave totem pole, <laughs> would be the foot washer. So it'd just be a custom. You walk in, they'd wash your feet, and you'd go sit down, and you'd have your meal. Well, this never happened. It never happened because there was no slave in that room. And that's, that's the context for this story. And, and this is what Jesus, after he did this, he washed all their feet. He said, I have given you an example to follow that you should do as I have done to you. In other words, this same mindset, this same spirit, I'm, you call me Lord, teacher, master, and I am. He's a savior of the world, but I'm one among you who serves. And he said, you will be blessed if you do this. If you know this, you will be blessed if you do it. It's not not the kind of thing we get attracted to, but what he is saying is when you learn to serve like I have served you, I'm going to bless you. This morning what I'd like to do is, is look at this passage and observe four characteristics of, of his serving, the way Jesus served. Because I think they're incredibly interesting. And when I, when I begin to compare my life to living like that, I see, like, I've got a long way to go. You know, it's easier as a Christian to learn doctrine and theology and practice and habits and do a lot of things than to develop a spirit like this. It really is. But this is what Christianity looks like. So the first of the characteristics of greatness, and you can write these down if they're helpful to you. I think they, they can be. The first characteristic of His great serving was awareness. Jesus was aware. And when I think of what was He aware of, He knew that the Father had put all things under His power. And that he had come from God and was returning to God. When I think of awareness, you, you guys do this in your house. Hey, situation awareness, situation alert. <laughs> Maybe it's just our house, but we, uh, you know, it's like when, when it's like, hello, hello. There's things going on around here. Do you see what's happening? Jesus was the most alert, aware person of what was happening all around him. And to be a servant, you need to be aware of what's, what's going on. He took note of what had happened. No one had their feet washed. Now, that's on the very ground level of practicality, which, which he sees. Did you notice this when you read through the Gospels, what Jesus sees that other people don't? It's really pretty amazing. He's aware. He's aware of it. But before that, Before the little things, he's always aware of his Father in heaven. It's like the true north of awareness. To be rightly set, to be rightly focused, to to have the right perspective of life, you've got to know what true north is. And Jesus was always seeking to glorify and to please his Father. That, That was his supreme desire. It was also his desire to do his father's will. That's what he was on earth to do. And, and we, we see that in the very first part of this reading where he says he came from God and he was going back to God. In other words, he, God sent him, God sent his only begotten son, and he was going back to God. And he understood the perspective that he had, it was an eternal perspective. And I think my tendency is in in life is to get so caught up in what's going on right now, right here, my life, that I fail to see what's happening in the big picture. And not just the big picture of my life, the big picture of eternity. Because God is working from eternity to eternity. What kind of awareness did He have? He had awareness of His Father. He had awareness of the purpose of His life. He knew why he came, and he was committed to that. He knew he came to live an obedient life, a righteous life, to teach, to heal, to to, uh, minister to people, but ultimately he came to die on the cross for our sins. That's why Jesus came. It wasn't just for being a good example. That's why he came. And he never wavered from that. For Jesus, too... If you notice, when you follow reading through the Gospels, which I think is a is a great thing to do, just reading through the Gospels, is that he was not about agenda. See, I, that's the way I tend to be. I'm all about, okay, what do I got to do? Got my list. You like that? I got my list. I got my plan. Got my calendar. Got to get from A to B. And uh, I can tend to be like, get out of my way. I've got to get from A to B. <laughs> and Jesus was all about people. He uh, if you like being on time, he would really frustrate you. And, and see, for me, I, I kind of take, it, it bothers me when, when things are late, you know, I'm going to be late. And I can tell that Jesus, if I would have been, been one of those disciples that was really frustrated with him because we, 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 got, we got a schedule to keep. And what happens is when I'm always keeping my schedule, being on time, getting my things done, I walk right by the people. Jesus was about people church needs to be about people, not just about things that we do. And he had eternity in his mind. What keeps you and me from having awareness, just being aware of needs, problems, concerns, aware of eternity, aware of God? What keeps us from that? We're just like the disciples, really. I think one it's self centeredness I mean typically most we we all the world revolves around me. It's just we wake up that way <laughs> we don't have to work to be that way, and when I am the center of the universe, that's how I see it. I think we become very preoccupied, and I think probably no more um than lately with with uh, the technology that we have you know you get a you gotta be careful you don't run over someone walking across the street on their iPhone you know you, you, after this tragedy in, in Florida which i'm sure many of you've watched the news they just talked about the effect of social media and computer screens upon our culture and we've got to watch that unfold and you know people've talked about it you know the kids today you know they're they've got you know 3000 friends and no friends I was listening to an interview recently, and, and they, they, were, they had done a survey among high school students, and hardly any high school students had a real friend, a real friend, but they had a lot of connections, and so we're constantly being distracted, you know, the, the, the pinging, the dinging, the, the buzzing on the phone, and you're just constant preoccupation. And so we become unaware of God, of what He's doing, of people, of why we're here. And I think we need to work to get back to a meaningful life, a great life. A great life is a life of serving, and you can't serve without awareness. A little while ago, I was um, traveling to a city to speak, and um, For those of you who don't know, my my previous day I was a president of a Bible college, uh, university, and a seminary. And so my job was training young people for ministry, uh, college-age, graduate-level type of people. And then I would travel a lot and speak on on that subject, on training the next generation uh, for the future. And so my, my whole work was, you know, let's get young people mobilized into doing ministry. Okay, so I I give you that context because the story has to fit into that. So, I'm in town, and I want to. I'm, I'm going to speak, in the evening. So I've got this this uh, got to get to a place, and, and I, and I run into Chick Fil A. And it's it's, sleeting sideways. You know how? And, and i I've got my suit on, and I uh, jump out of my car, and, and you know how you kind of just kind of running like this, <laughs> into Chick Fil A. And as I'm running in. I, I see a homeless-type person sitting right by the door. Now, I saw them, but I pretended like I didn't. I'm just telling you how spiritual I am. Um, <clears throat> and I go in, and I have my nice warm meal. I sit down to kind of go over my notes for my message that night. And then um, I go out the door, and the guy is still sitting there. And but it's it's sleeting sideways still. And I got to get to my car, and I've got to get to my next appointment. And uh, as soon as I get in my car, it just hits me. It's like, ugh, why do I have to think this? What would Jesus do, Matt? I think, oh, what would Jesus do? And then and then I go through the whole routine. Well, you know, the guy should he needs to get a job. You know, you, I don't know if you're that you're that uh, Pharisaical, but. You know, it's, and, and, the other, and then the other thing is I don't have any cash. So I, I've got every excuse in the book. So I'm ready to start my car up and head on to my speaking engagement to serve God. <clears throat> and it's just like eating at me, eating at me, eating at me. So I go, okay, okay, Lord. <laughs> I get out of my car and I go back out and I'm in a sleeting. I'm you know, in my suit. You know, of course, you have to have a nice suit to speak. And, um, and, and I kneeled down in front of the guy, and I, and I said, hey, what, you need, what do you need? And he looked up, and I looked into the eyes of a 20-year-old. He's a boy. Just a kid. And he said, I just need some food. So I went in, took him in, and I said, get what you want. You know, and he, he, got, he got a lot of stuff. Um, <laughs> I had my, my credit card. I put him on my credit card. And I thought, you know, I could just take off and let him eat his food. I'm going to sit and talk to him. And I said, and I in and a while, between bites of his food, I said, well, tell me your story. And it turns out this, this boy was a Christian. He believed in Jesus Christ as his Savior. He was saved when he was young. Grew up in a Christian home. Went to a Christian school. But somewhere along the line in high school, he got disillusioned with all of it. And he started spinning. His name was Casey. You know, I may never, probably never see the guy again. But I thought, you know, Christianity is more about loving on people like that than preaching to a thousand people about how we need to do stuff like that. But can I tell you this? It's really hard for me to do. And I make up more excuses than you could possibly imagine. And I am so busy doing my thing, I don't even see it. I don't even want to see it. This is so true about Jesus. He was so aware of people who were hurting, who had needs, who had pain. And in my, in my prayer is that in some way for Casey that day, I was to encourage him that the loving God that he was taught about is still there for him. The second word is humility. So awareness, humility. What does it take to serve? It takes humility. Jesus, it says, took off his garment, which is really like taking off his shirt. He's in his loincloth like, like a slave. Now wraps a towel around him, and begins doing the work of a servant in front of all of his followers and you don 't sense that he 's exasperated, frustrated, oh, no one washed anybody 's feet. no, he is doing this with great purpose and Peter was appalled and and of course peter's always making the statements we all would have made. <laughs> Lord, you'll never wash my feet. Well, why? Why was Peter saying that? It's because he thought, you know, Peter, he's he's trying to act humble. (laughs) Lord, you're my master. You know, he had declared him to be the Christ. You know, the great confession of Peter, you you are the Christ. So I would never, never let you, I'll wash your feet. I would never let you wash my feet. And Jesus said this, "If, if I don't wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And the reason Jesus said that was because, Peter, unless you get this, you don't get it. You don't get it. This is Christianity. This is love. This is serving, and, and, and I am one who serves among you. So then, of course, Peter goes over the top. Let the Lord wash my whole body, wash my head and my hands. And he says, no, no. No, wash your feet. You're already clean. In other words, you're already a believer. You're already saved. But I'm telling you, it's not just about believing in Jesus. It's not just that. It's living this way. It's living this way. What is humility? You know, I think that's probably the hardest one of the hardest things in life. <laughs> to... to Define it, describe it, to have it. Well, I think it's first just not thinking about yourself all the time, not being the center of the universe, not planning everything, preparing everything according to your schedule, your life. It's thinking about what others need before you think about what you need or want. Doing what Jesus would do. And I... And I You've heard this expression before, what would Jesus do? Now every time I do that, I just kind of (laughs) go, because I know it. It confronts me. Because what I'm presently doing is not what Jesus would be doing. As as noble as I think it is. I've got great plans. Lord, bless our plans. We're going to go do this. We're going to do this. We're going to speak here. We're going to organize this. We're going to run over here. We're going to tell this person something. And he wants us to strip down look like a slave, kneel down in humility, putting ourselves below all of these people. And I think back to whose feet is he washing? Peter, he would later deny him. Thomas would doubt him. Judas would betray him. And every one of those guys fled when he went to the cross. He's washing their feet. He didn't look at them and say, You guys ought to have a job. <laughs> or, or, or you got yourself into this mess. He didn't uh sarcastically say, Hey, hey guys, wake up. Situation awareness, okay? No one wash anybody's feet. Okay, learn to be a servant. Guys, get up, wash each other's feet. He didn't do that. He just lived it. He just lived it. He set the example. And then he said, You do as I have done to you. You know, when I, when I think of humility, and I, I try to think of what are ways that I could illustrate it. Um, I'd love to be able to illustrate it from my own personal life, but <laughs> I couldn't think of anything. Um, there, is no, there is no expression story of humility like the story of Jesus, because he is equal with God above all things. And and humbled him. It's like he has this descending, these descending steps to greatness, to humble himself, to come into the world as a baby in Bethlehem, to humble himself to live, is really in an obscurity, and then to die the death of a cross. That's humility. In Philippians 2, I love these words. It says, in your relationship with one another, have the same mindset, same way of thinking as Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. So Jesus is equal with God, but he he put himself below. It's like husband, equal, wife, put himself below. Friend, put yourself below. He's not demanding his rights. When I thought about humility in my own life, I'm pretty good at doing humble things if they're big things, planned things, and my things. <laughs> but if someone expects me to be humble, I don't respond too well. The small little things, unplanned, unnoticed, inconvenient things are harder. To be humble with everyone, everywhere, even strangers, people on the road, in traffic, just cut you off. He got into the wrong line at King Supers again. People you don't know. Jesus was this way with everyone, with everyone. Except the Pharisees, <laughs> the self righteous. If you think about it, who was he really hard on? It's the phonies. It's the people that have all this pomp and circumstance of self-righteousness. Humility. It's easy to act like a servant until someone treats you like one. So, serving with greatness. Serving greatness is marked by awareness, by humility. The third word is sacrifice. Jesus' whole life, if you think about this, His whole life was sacrifice. He came to serve. It cost him. And sacrifice costs you. You feel the pain of it. It's, it's giving something up. His time, his dignity, his comfort, his convenience, and ultimately he gave up his life. Jesus was fluid and responsive in his sacrifice. It wasn't just my planned sacrifice because I think what we, we become professional Christians and we have planned humility, planned service. Planned sacrifice, and it really makes us feel good and look good. But Jesus was so fluid with sacrifice that everywhere he went, he lived this way. When I was in the education field, there was another president of a college in South Carolina. His name, the name of the college, Columbia International University. And the president, a little bit before my time, was named Robert Robertson McQuilkin. And when, when he was in the prime, uh, he, had, he had built this college, it had expanded, uh, had several radio stations, and the entire ministry of the college and seminary was to put, put kids into ministry, train them and develop them. At the very peak of his successful career, his wife came down with a premature uh, diagnosis of Alzheimer's, and she had great fear of him being away from home but it wasn't long before she didn't even recognize him and so many people said to him you know what you just need to put her in a home get care you know have someone take care of her you know what that's she doesn't even know who you are what difference does it make and uh he decided to resign his position i mean he's 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 not he's not old <laughs> and he said this. This is a quote. He says, When the time came, the decision was firm. It took no, no great calculation. It was a matter of integrity. Had I not promised 42 years before in sickness and in health till death do us part? This was no grim duty to which I stoically resigned, however. It was only fair. She had, after all, cared for me for almost four decades with marvelous devotion. Now it was my turn and such a partner she was if i took care of her for 40 more years i would never be out of her debt you know and i mean we we're, we're in this field looking at looking at this guy thing we're just kind of stunned because because most people would have every other reason or excuse to be able to to work it another way to to still do what i want to do this is the way jesus lived and i think that that uh, Dr. McQuilkin, you know, when I, when I think of that life, had such, such power to the rest of us of really what matters and the, really the way that we live. Amy Carmichael, missionary to India, said, When I consider the cross of Christ and all that He did for me, how could anything I do be considered sacrifice? You think about that the way he gave and gave and gave and sacrificed. And, and Jesus really, in his whole life, sacrifice wasn't just what he... I mean, the ultimate sacrifice was he died on the cross for our sins. And we think about that. But his whole way of doing life was sacrificial. It wasn't self-centered. And then the fourth word that, uh, that I see in this passage is initiative. You know what, uh, you read these words that he he knew where he came from, God, he was going to God, it says, so he got up and took off his garment and wrapped the towel around him. He he took the initiative. It wasn't his problem. Um, It should have been someone else's problem. He could have handled it a lot of different ways. As I said, he didn't get angry, but he led by example, and this is what he did. This is how we lived. Jesus set the example by living that way so we might follow him. And that's what I love about the most simple um, the way to describe Christianity. And we, we've done this at Valley. How would you describe what we do? Following Jesus. <laughs> Following Jesus. And then the other part of it is helping others do the same. So we want to follow him. We follow his example. It's not just his doctrine. It's not just his teaching. It's not just telling people about how to get to heaven. We follow him in the way he lived, in every way. He showed them in love. And I think this that being a servant and being serving others takes not just being aware and and uh, you know being humble and sacrificial. It takes initiative. It takes you know, I'm I'm going to step. I'm going to do something about this. This last summer. We were on vacation in Abington, Virginia, and uh, I think there were about forty of us all together—my dad and uh, all my 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 two sisters, all their families. We had lots of lots of kids, and uh, our kids are there, their kids, and we're on the on the lake, and their houses probably spread out about 150 yards apart, and uh, we're out there just relaxing, talking, and. And uh, all of a sudden, this woman comes busting out of the house, and it's, it's quite a ways away. And she's screaming for help. Help! 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 And she's waving her arms. And most of us are, we look and we're trying to assess what's happening. What do we do? We're just like this. And, and uh, there are a lot of us there. And all of a sudden, I see Ross, our son Ross, and my nephew Caleb go, whew. I mean, they are just flying. And they, there's a fence about this high. They just go right over the fence. <laughs> and uh, what had happened is her husband had fallen off a ladder, and was unconscious, and he had stopped breathing. And uh, she was in, a, she was in a panic. And uh, but those two, I said, what was it about Ross and Caleb that was way ahead of the rest of us? I mean, it was all happening in a second. I think most of us would have. You know, finally woke up. What what do we do? Run over there. But both of those guys had uh, gone through first responder training. Caleb is a Virginia Beach police officer, and Ross has had medical training and been through the first responder type things. So they think that way. They're thinking that way. And it's almost as if when you're trained that way, and you think that way, and you have your mind that way, you're just alert to what's happening around you. So the, the, the space between the time they heard a cry for help and their response to that was very short. And that's the way it needs to be for us. We are here following Jesus and we are representing Him to the world. What is Christianity like? What is it like? You know, people are not going to be impressed with just us reading a doctrinal statement or we believe this or we, we have this. We've got these programs. The difference will be made when we live like Jesus. When we live like Jesus on this earth. Now, it's not perfectly, but it gives him a little glimpse of the way he lived. And Jesus Christ came to serve. That's what he said. I came to serve. He says, I am one among you who serves. I did not come to have people serve me. I have come to serve and to give my life a ransom for many. So at the end, Jesus asks this question, and it's in the, in the Scripture reading, Do you know what I have done for you? So I'd like to ask that as we conclude this morning. When Jesus gets done with his demonstration, <laughs> do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what I've done for you? I've given you an example. Now, you do as I've done for you. And if you don't just know these things and do them, if you do them, you'll be blessed. And the result, when a person gets this mindset and lives this way, there is a fullness and a joy and a satisfaction and a completion. That's what he's speaking about. So you may not respond like Muhammad Ali. <laughs> Most of us would not. But deep down, you want to be significant, don't you? You want your life to count for something. You may not say, I want to be great, but that's what the disciples, these followers of Jesus, they were disputing among themselves, who's the greatest? Jesus said, let me show you. Do you want to be great? Do you want to be great? And the answer to that is, go serve in Jesus' name. This is what we get to do. We get to represent Him. We get to go serve in His name. Serve like Him. My prayer is this, that the Christianity that defines this church, that defines it as a whole, but defines your life, is, is like the life of Christ, that you show as a follower, being a servant. Father, we thank you for these words, even though they're hard and they're challenging and, and they really rebuke us for the way we live such self-centered lives, such preoccupied lives. So. Lord, help these words to sink deep into us that fulfillment and joy and peace and significance and value and greatness will come as we learn to live like You and to serve. Lord, we thank You for the way You served us and continue to do that. For coming into this world, dying on the cross, rising again to give us life, preparing a home for us in heaven and promising that you'll come back for us again. Lord, may we live this way every day of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.